0: Good morning, ladies and gentle germs. Welcome back to the show. My name's Andy and this is the RR Show, the best show on the internet, bringing you the hottest and bestest Reddit stories we can find and the rating them into life like no other show can. Today, we're taking a stumble into R slash no sleep for episode 246. So be doubly sure to grab your tea and your lantern and your popcorn, because this is going to be a good one. Without further ado, let's get into our first story, posted by Luminous Tigian. I found some old emails from my brother who used to be an Arctic researcher. I don't think he's my brother anymore. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You know how you start doing the most random things when you're bored out of your mind? Yeah, well, a year ago, boredom found me trying to access my old Yahoo email and somehow getting in. I was hit with a wage of nostalgia upon seeing the updates and notifications of old games like Neopets, MapleStory and Club Penguin. As I scrolled down, I noticed there were a bunch of emails in the spam inbox. Curious, I clicked on it and discovered that they were sent by my brother Jack 19 years ago when he went to the Arctic to do a research job. 4th of July, 2004. Hey Squat! surprise, surprise, it's your big bro here. I hope you're reading this on the email I made you and give me a reply. I bet you don't know how to though. Anyway, we might get a kick out of this years later, so just be in my diary for a while, won't you? How have you been? I know it's only a few days since I left, but I miss you guys. The Arctic is freezing. And people are cold too, pun intended. Like, I met this burly dude called Kafka who totally ignored me when I made a joke about his name. You know Kafka is my favourite author, right? On the bright side, there's a seal colony close to the base. Blubbery as they are, they're cute as heck. I wonder if they'll let me bring you one as a souvenir. Peace. The best big bro ever, Jack. 9th of July, 2004 Yo, five days in the job, baby. You, mum, dad, you're doing all right. I wasn't getting much work at first, but the guys have entrusted me with a lot more stuff to do. Mostly lab work, but that's fine. Work is better than nothing at all. The Arctic is majestic and all, but there's barely anything to do outside of work. I'm pretty sure I walked 10 laps around the research base at one point because I was so bored. The internet's bad too, and only the email software works. The people here are literal zombies. It's sunny the whole day, but they act like there's, the joy's just been sucked out of them. Maybe the colds get into their heads. Anyway, I'm sure that'll change when I make the biggest Arctic breakthrough. They'll all be cheering in no time. Your brother's a genius after all. Cheers, Genius Jack. 14th of July, 2004 Hey, bro. How's summer holidays going? Did you go anywhere fun? I am finally allowed to go on outside expeditions, catching seals and tagging them mostly. That's fun. There is some fucking weird shit though. Some dude came to the base and the people are all happy now for some reason. They call him Reverend. He dresses like a priest, even though it's cold as heck. He seems like a nice dude, but it's weird that he showed out of nowhere. I asked around about who he was, and they just told me that he's a former researcher who found the truth. As for what the truth is, I got zero clue. Guess I'll play detective for a while. Catch you later, alligator. Sherlock Jack 16th of July, 2004 Dear little bro, how are you? Got any new crushes yet? I got a crush, literally. A chubby seal bit me and my arm was crushed. Just kidding. I had a wound, but it's all bandaged up now. One of the seals we were tagging wasn't fully sedated, so I got hurt. I'm heading up to my room now. By the way, Reverend held a prayer session when my arm was bit. I didn't understand because it was in a language I have never heard before. Or maybe I was just doped up on drugs. But all the researchers were crying. I was kind of creeped out for some reason. Stay safe, Jack. 19th of July, 2004. Hey, kiddo, you alright? I'm typing this with one hand. My arm is not doing so well. The colour's all off and it hurts. I'm worried it might have to get cut off or something. Kafka's been nursing me, but he keeps chanting something under his breath. Reverend comes by and they whisper to each other. I keep hearing a word that sounds something like Kathalfi or something. I don't know the language and don't know what it means. I asked Kafka what it means. The one under the ice was all he said before leaving the room. Weird, right? Anyway, you're bro strong. One arm or two. I'm going to wrestle you to the ground when I get back. Love you, Jack. 21st of July, 2004 No more cold. Good night. The email dating 21st of July, 2004 was the last one. Jack came back home in August, safe and sound. What I read never left my mind until I saw Jack again at a family gathering today. He was wearing a t-shirt, arms exposed, not a hint of a scar on either of them. I had to know what happened. Is your arm alright? I asked as we drank beer together on the porch. He slowly turned his head towards me, lips stretching into a tight smile. At that moment, everything about his face was just... wrong. To me why wouldn't it be i looked into his eyes deep vacant voids of nothing this was not my brother i forced a chuckle it's really sunny today aren't you worried about sunburn you used to get that a lot he's expressionless and silent for a moment eyes boring into mine as if probing for something I didn't realize that I was holding my breath until his features snapped back into a cold smile. I missed you, little brother. Don't worry if you've got hypersomnia, we have the cure with this one from Ten One One More Nightmare. What really happens when coideceps infect humans? No bridge prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. By now, you've probably heard of the popular TV show that portrays the cordyceps fungus infecting humans and turning them into zombie-like creatures. But let me tell you, the real-life scenario is so much more terrifying. I work in a lab that specializes in plant and fungi experimentation. Our primary focus is on developing new drugs for the pharmaceutical industry, including everything from anti-aging remedies to creating the next blue pill. However, we also received significant funding from the Defense Department, and their research requirements are, how do we say, more sinister. How are the new test subjects doing? Stephen, our lab supervisor, asked as he approached me carrying a clipboard. He gestured towards the eight test rooms in front of us. Number four's looking promising, and I think six and seven are starting to show signs, I said, looking up from my workstation. Inside the eight test rooms were five men and two women, one in each room, plus a single empty room. It was left empty after a rogue chimpanzee from the earlier phase experiments had managed to escape its cage and break the pass-through window, which is used to transfer materials and instruments between sterile and non-sterile rooms. Stephen nodded, a look of excitement on his face. Excellent, we're getting closer. In the cages, test subjects 1, 2, 3, and 5 appeared to be behaving somewhat normally, pacing their small 8x8 cage or talking to themselves. However, test subject 4 had remained motionless now for about two hours, Lying on his side with his back to us, his chest rises and falling, his only movement. Meanwhile, test subjects 6 and 7 had recently become lethargic, barely responding to the electric shocks administered to their enclosure. All of the test subjects had been exposed to a variety of chemically altered coidicep fungus. Typically, coideceps cannot infect humans due to our higher internal temperatures, among other factors. However, by modifying the fungus's genetic makeup, we were close to changing that. Let's keep a close eye on those three. Report back to me if there's any updates. Will do, I replied. With that, Stephen left the room and I returned to monitoring the test subjects' vitals on the screens. Interestingly, subjects 4, 6 and 7 had significantly elevated heart rates. Almost 50% higher than the others. Additionally, their endorphin levels and body's natural painkillers were unusually high, indicating that they were experiencing intense pain, despite showing none of the typical outward signs. "'Hey, what do you think of this?' I asked my lab partner, Mike, while pointing to the screen with my pen. He looked over the vitals on my screen. "'It looks like they're in intense pain. Those sorts of levels would be... uh, "'I'd expect to see that in someone that's on fire.' He said dryly. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me as well, I replied. Our test subjects were some of the worst criminals our government had ever locked up. One big advantage of working for the defense department was human test subjects. There was no shortage of forgotten criminals, terrorists, murderers and other violent offenders. These individuals were typically housed in maximum security prisons and were serving lengthy sentences, often for life. While the use of human subjects in scientific experiments is controversial and subject to strict ethical guidelines, the Defense Department saw the need to conduct these tests outside the normal guidelines. Therefore, the rules no longer applied and we had the green light to do Whatever we needed to do to get the results. Let's do a blood test, see if the troponin levels have increased on subjects 4, 6, and 7, I said to Mike. Mike nodded, left his seat to get dressed into his hazmat suit. With the heart rate and endorphin levels so extremely elevated, I thought it could be possible that the coideceps already spreading through the test subjects, paralyzing them while simultaneously causing immense pain. If my theory was right, then not only will we have successfully managed to infect the first-ever human with coideceps, but it would have taken effect within three hours of exposure. Coideceps is a type of parasitic fungus that primarily infects ants as well as other insects such as beetles and caterpillars. The infection process begins when a spore of the coideceps fungus lands on the exoskeleton of an ant. Once the spore is attached to the ant, It begins to grow long, branching filaments that penetrate the ant's exoskeleton and starts to invade its body. As the fungus grows, it releases chemicals that alter the ant's behavior, causing it to become disoriented and leave its colony. The fungus continues to grow inside the ant's body, eventually replacing its organs and tissues with a mass of fungal cells. We're not stupid. We know exactly why the Defense Department would want to essentially weaponize this. We do this because we're scientists and pushing the boundaries of human knowledge in further understanding the world around us is fundamental to our role. Now fully suited up, Mike entered the first test subjects room, number four, and activated the cage squeeze function. The cage started to close in on the test subject, squeezing in from the front and back. This process meant Mike could get up and close to the test subject without risk to himself. But just as the cage closed in tight, locking the subject in place, his skin burst from multiple areas and sharp dagger-like spores fired out in all directions. Panicking, Mike turned and ran for the door he'd just come through. I reached for the emergency lockdown button to prevent him from leaving and hit it a second too late. Mike ran out into the connecting corridor, screaming in pain. Some of the spores had penetrated his suit and were now drilling their way into his body. As Mike screamed and clawed at the holes, ripping his hazmat suit while trying to tear them out. I activated the alarms, locked down my door as Mike thrashed about in the corridor. A few minutes later, I heard security come running down the hall and yell at Mike to get down but he was in too much pain to respond. The security guards continued to yell at Mike, tasers drawn, when Mike suddenly started running at them. Without flinching, both security guards tasered Mike, dropping him onto the floor. They then slowly approached him to restrain him, when suddenly Mike's body tore open and fired out more dagger-like spores. Impossible, I yelled at the camera, as I watched both guards get hit by the spores. The coideceps had multiplied and spread within minutes. The guards, now themselves in agonizing pain, ran back through the doors that they came from and into one of the main lab halls where more than a dozen researchers were working. Watching through the cameras, I saw the researchers panicking and trying to escape via the now locked doors as the two security guards thrashed around. Then. Just like Mike, the security guard's skin split open, firing multiple spores around the room. Most of the researchers had now been infected, and those that avoided being struck by the spores weren't so lucky a few minutes later as more spores went flying around the room. Soon, every researcher was infected, screaming and writhing in agony. I stayed in my locked room for hours watching as the infected slowly stopped moving. One by one, they collapsed to the floor or on tabletops, and I watched in horrified amazement as fungal growth started to sprout from the holes in their skin. I eventually put on a hazard suit, unlocked the door, and left the office, slowly walking towards Mike's still body but now he was covered in fungal stalks and mushroom-like growths, and one had even grown right through his eye socket, popping his eyeball out the side. But that wasn't the worst thing. The worst thing was his other eye, which was fixated on me, had an expression of sheer terror and agony. He was alive, paralysed, and appeared to be feeling every horrifying moment as the coideceps slowly dissolved his internal organs and replaced them with fungal growths. I'm sorry, Mike, I whispered, genuinely upset at his predicament. Mike was a good guy, but I knew I couldn't help him. The coideceps was devouring his internal organs as he lay there, So I did what any good scientist would do. I carefully took a sample of the growth from his eye socket and a blood sample. I then carefully attached a mobile heart rate monitor to his arm through one of the ripped holes Mike had made earlier, and then slowly backed away, back into the secure room, locked the doors and awaited my rescue. The data I could get from Mike would no doubt prove invaluable for our next attempt. So here I wait. It's taken longer than I thought to be rescued. It's now been about 60 hours since Mike got infected. The bodies are now unrecognizable lumps of fungal growths, and Mike's heart rate stopped registering a pulse around 15 hours ago, which means he was alive for two whole days after the infection. He did have multiple heart attacks during that time, no doubt from the pain of different organs turning to slush. But somehow he was kept alive. I have tried the internal lines multiple times, but no one's answering. It's probably a security protocol I'm unaware of, and I can't see the cameras outside of this part of the facility, but I'm sure they're just taking extreme precautions. After all, the last thing anyone would want is for this to escape the lab, but I'm sure everything is fine. At least I hope it is. With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.